Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. And here's your 30-second summary. I am yeah. loud. And then when we're in person and doing live shows, Beckett has like this little hand signal she does to me uh. when I start getting excited and loud. Yeah, it's really cute. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else can see it, but I always see it no matter where she is in my sight. It's <sighs> good to be so valuable. That's a good partnership. It sounds very functional. It's our significant other shit. There you go. <laughs> the end. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this little bonus episode so today we have our new podcast girlfriend, Liza Powell O'Brien, because she has a new podcast called Significant Others. And both Beckett and I really liked it. And we thought, let's have a conversation with her. And you should know that we we don't really do interviews per se. We just very, very, Chat. very rarely talk to quote <laughs> our friend. And so Liza, would you mind telling everyone what your podcast is about? I'm very bad at summarizing it, but essentially the idea was to take a look at the people who were very closely adjacent to and maybe influential in the life of a person who we all are already familiar with, especially if that person is, you know, an artist or a politician or someone who had a real consequence on our cultural society, something like that. So one of the most sort of clear examples for me is always uh, Vera Nabokov, because pretty much everyone knows about the novel Lolita, even if you haven't read it, but you know it's kind of a big deal in our cultural history. Mm -hmm. And um, Vladimir Nabokov, when he wrote it, was struggling a lot over the years that he was writing it, and he tried to burn it a couple of times, and his wife is the one who rescued it and said, no, 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 this has to this has to go out into the world. So that that's one example of someone without whom things as we know them might be different. And sometimes it might not be a literal fire. Do you agree? Like they'll put out a fire, like a crisis of faith in themselves or like things in the background. So the significant others might well be putting out metaphorical fires. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that applies to Mary Lincoln, actually, because um, which was a bit of a revelation for me. I, I know you have spoken about her, too. But she, we all know the ways in which she was destructive for her husband and, and for the country. <laughs> really um, a difficult character, but she had such complete faith in him that when he had a little bit of a lull in his political career um, and was sort of between jobs, basically, and was he, he says, I, I got entirely too comfortable just being at home. And she was the one who who spurred him on. That was just one example of, you know, the moments in which she was instrumental in getting him where he ultimately went mm -hmm. in the White House. Because you think of these big events in history or in someone's career happening in a vacuum, kind of. And you're telling like, no, there's a whole support system here that you're not seeing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. I, I, it's, it's a couple of things. It's, you know, my whole life, I would, whenever we were taught about a founding father, for example, I would think, okay, but who was making that person's dinner and who was cleaning that person's house? And, you know, what that person didn't just get along completely on his own. Usually it was a him. <laughs> This actually is related to the person that I'm married to, who has a very big job and a very public presence. And without having kind of behind the scenes access to someone like him, I, I would tend to think that people who do 
quote unquote, amazing things or things that we all regard as impressive or excellent or, you know, high profile, that that just happens. Like, it's so easy to think that people just kind of end up doing something spectacular when in fact, it takes tons and tons and tons of work from all sorts of people and a lot of struggle. And so that's kind of heartening to me as, um, especially as an artist, you know, that to, to <laughs> remember that, it's not just that, oh, if you're not like <laughs> crapping out the great American novel <laughs> on your own, by the time you're 25, you're a total disaster. <laughs> Do you agree with this statement? Because I was just thinking about this before we got on that we're all, every single one of us are a significant other to one extent or other at some point in our life, but we might not even know it. Like we might not know if there's something that we did that changed the trajectory of someone's life until, you know, 10 years later when, well, for example, someone has emailed us to tell us that they literally got a history degree because they listened to our show. That's amazing. So we are all, even if we just let someone go in front of us at the grocery store, like maybe that we, we can call that insignificant others. I don't know. But like, <laughs> but we make... We have an effect on people. And then the closer we get to the, the center of greatness, I guess, we become significant others. But, you know. In your Gandhi episode, it's not only just, you know, being there to sweep up the pieces, but she inspired him. She taught him what was going to be his mission in life. Isn't that crazy? And it was. And, and I, I knew nothing about her until I listened to that episode. And I was fascinated by her. She is fascinating. I, I to him, you know embarrassingly enough, didn't even know he had a wife until someone recommended I, I look into it. Right. So, and, and I also, you know, he was obviously a very complicated, difficult character himself, but um, I love that he credited her with that because we wouldn't know. Otherwise mm -hmm. she would never have yeah. said that. So I think what you were saying is, is spot on and so beautiful too, to think about the ways in which we are all affecting each other's lives, whether we know it or not, and how valuable it is to do something for someone, any kind of, you know, sharing of ourselves or service for a person, even if it is such a small thing as letting them ahead of you in line or whatever, can really mm -hmm. add up. Yeah. Well, even Mary Lincoln had a person like that in her life in Elizabeth Keckley, mm -hmm. you know, and she kind of supported her. And Mary Lincoln doesn't get a lot of credit for things that she did because there's so many things that she did that were just wackadoodle right. and people just like raising their eyebrows. How many pairs of gloves? Right. I think we don't even think about those people that inspire the significant others. So do you have plans to go into that ever? Like this is a significant other of this famous person, but this is the significant other of that person. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I mean, maybe that's a, that's a great idea. It's, it's hard sometimes to, I mean, first of all, you have to, tell a story that's going to be relevant. So people have to care about the person that this unknown person right. is related to. So someone like Mary Lincoln, yes, everybody already knows about her. So that would be fascinating um, to look into. Sometimes there can also be an issue of information, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's, oh yeah, it's sometimes hard to, to find that stuff. But I, I mean, I think that, yeah, these, these pathways can kind of branch out endlessly, which is amazing. I'm kind of interested too in like, and I will ask this question of both of you, like, who is the significant other in your life beyond, you know, perhaps it's a romantic partner or a life partner, but in terms of what you see as your life's work, who's the person who influenced you or made it possible if there is one, maybe there are a number of them. 
We were literally just talking about this. <laughs> um, and I don't think we had hit record, so I cannot prove it to you. Uh, but <laughs> I asked her, but then I answered it myself first. <laughs> and at this, <laughs> at this point in my life, Beckett and I met when I was leaving being a stay-at-home mom and trying to find direction for mm -hmm. my life. And that was 12 years ago. We started this show 11 years ago. So at this point in my life, I can honestly say that Beckett is my significant Aww. other. I mean, I'm married and he's, you know, supportive. I have kids, also supportive. But that Beckett's the one that challenges me and she teaches me things that I, you know, haven't learned yet. And um, yeah, sometimes she's talking in shows and I, I just sit down and go, yeah, I'd love to listen to you talk. <laughs> oh, Pashaw, Susan. Well, I'm not going to be as uh, perhaps as elaborate of a, of a response, but of course I feel the same way. We've, we've come a long way together. Our show was held together with functionally chewing gum and bailing wire. I had a guy that works at NASA that had to write our, um, the RSS feed because it didn't exist. This button that says publish, it didn't exist. <laughs> He's my significant right. other too. Like without right. him, none of this would have been possible. So I think that's true. And, you know, our subjects are women who might have been regarded as significant others right. in their time. And I wanted to ask you, Liza, the question that we constantly get is how are you researching these perhaps not as well-known significant others? What challenges are there to get material for people who haven't been the subject of endless biographies and documentaries? It's so hard. It's all so hard. And I, by the way, am someone who hates research. I really don't know what I was thinking when I signed myself up for this, um, this whole thing because I literally, like my worst subject in school was always history. I am not a history buff, but it, Conan must have rubbed off on me in, in multiple ways because he is. And so, but interestingly, I noticed that books that were in our home library to research the Mary Lincoln episode, because he has an entire wall of them. And he's read them all. And still, when he heard the script, he said, I, I didn't know this stuff. And I was like, oh, that's <laughs> fascinating. It's like really reveals the filter that we are bringing to things when we're, you know, reading anything um, is pretty profound. Right. So to answer your question, I ha I'm literally drowning in books. I just have stacks and stacks of books. I do a lot of I mean, without the Internet, I wouldn't do any of this. I'm way too lazy to go to a library. So <laughs> I do a lot of Googling. I do a lot of, you know, JSTOR archival article reading. Mm -hmm. I weirdly with someone like Sophia Tolstoy, it was, I wouldn't say it was easy. There was a great book that someone had written that was about her that kind of cued me into her, you know, significance. But then researching her obviously all had to be done through the eyes of Tolstoy biographers, which in a way kinds of it hones the process because you can just go through the index and look for her name, you know, and highlight all mm -hmm. the stuff in the various biographies. What gets complicated there is, and I don't know if you guys run into this at all, but different biographers have different takes on things, right? So then you're like oh, yeah. cross-referencing and trying to decide which one you agree with. And sometimes that drives me to the, you know, source material, which is cool if I can get there, but definitely slows me down. And also then I yeah. have no idea, like, how am I making this de determination? And that can be a little exciting, but also like, who am I? Who am I to be making these calls about, you know, for example, was Sophia Tolstoy being hysterical and obnoxious and annoying? Or was she at wit's end because her husband had driven her there? You know, there's no consensus, right. historically speaking. So I'm kind of bringing my own view on that, which is cool, but also, again, who am I? 
But then someone like Molly Day Thatcher, who was Elliot Kazan's wife, who's, I think, the sixth episode in the series, she does not exist except in other people's biographies. And where she does exist, it's very scant. She shows up a lot in her husband's autobiography, naturally, but he is kind of an unreliable narrator. So that's really tricky. Um, and that made me wish that someone had written a biography on her or that someone would. And if I had, you know, a hundred hours in every day, I might try and tackle that project, but I don't know that I'm the best man for the job. So anyway, this is a very long winded answer to your question, but it's, it's just a lot of scrounging around really is what it is. When I was listening, I, I binged it. I was like, oh, I'll listen to an episode. And I started with Mary Lincoln because I know yep. her. And I was like, okay, these are awesome. Okay. So I thought that you did a pretty good job of presenting when there are those situations, which is exactly what we do. Mm-hmm. When, you know, there's a judgment call, which one of these is true. Right. I think you did a good job of presenting that and having those bonus episodes the day after mm-hmm. your, you know, your main story of the significant other comes out. The next day you talk to an expert who's adjacent to your subject. And that's when you can also bring out a lot of those. Like when you were talking with um, Esther Perel, Mm -hmm. I like played that one twice because she was, she's amazing. She was awesome. And I went and I went and subscribed to her. No, no, she's incredible. Like she's a, she is a true expert. I mean, when you say I I talk to experts, that's a little bit of a loose term. Some of these people are experts. Some of them are experts in fields that are, as you say, adjacent to what I'm talking about. You know, sometimes I feel like the conversation's a little bit, you know, um, to the side of what the point of the real episode was, but, but I'm glad you're enjoying those. It's funny because the producers sort of had to massage me into a place where I was willing to try those, uh, like free mm-hmm. conversation follow-up episodes. Cause I'm so right. not an, like a spontaneous speaker as I'm illustrating right now. <laughs> <Getting very laughs> not an interviewer. Yeah. <laughs> no, not an interviewer. We have so much, I'm sorry, Liza, we have so much in common. I can't even begin to tell you. The things that I've learned, I pick up the, I want to be reading the fiction all the time. My eyeballs want to be on it, but now it's always on nonfiction. So I'm going to tell you, um, I just, I pulled that out of one of your episodes. And what I do now is when I finish one of these, Mm -hmm. I'll read a fictional book. A lot of times it's like a graphic novel Mm -hmm. or a YA, so I can get it done in a couple hours, but it kind of like, it's a sherbet, you know, it's a brain cleanser. Absolutely. And I got a D in history in high school, oh, wow. in AP history. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the only read, yeah, uh, Beckett's like history. And I'm like, uh, that's not my people, thing. Though. And then I realized people, people, thank that's you. It. Beckett does not sound like me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Except for less loud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's just my equipment. <laughs> so our show is women only and most of their significant others are are going to be men just by you referred to that earlier you know most of the time you're going to end up with the men folk and then you know but well so which we call these men roosters as a play on the word chicks and i think that your term is far more dignified and egalitarian (laughs) than ours it takes all kinds and i was going to say earlier when you were talking about author bias, which is what we were calling it. You'll read a biography and there's a person that super hates Mm -hmm. the lady person uh, that we're researching. I mean, you're talking to the people who had to dig through the minefield of the F. Scott Fitzgerald, Zelda Fitzgerald people, people who write books about Zelda hate him. People that write books about him hate her. And you just have to steer down the middle. 
That's great. <laughs> I, and even steering down the middle, all the Scott F. Scott Fitzgerald people were like, he wasn't like that. Well, what biographies are you reading? Right. You know, that's fascinating. And then when we talk about experts, I mean, we've been known to call a university in Ghana to get like, please tell us about Queen Nzinga. And the guy's like, I swear to you, no one has ever just randomly called me like this before. <laughs> He's like, I want to gather my thoughts and some materials. And can I call you back? <laughs> like, yeah, oh, that's great. Oh, I was going to ask you, um, and this may be jumping the line of your question, but how do you come up with your subject ideas? Oh, that was on my list of questions to ask you. <laughs> if you guys are coming up with subjects that people, at least in our mainstream culture, have not covered or even touched, how are you coming up with them? Well, subjects that don't really have anything out there, mm -hmm. we just can't cover. We won't. We need to have a sizable body of work. We have done them. When we covered Phyllis Wheatley, there wasn't a whole lot of information out there. She, there was a book. Mm. So we kind of went from there and then did what you do and look for adjacent subjects to kind of fill in the blanks. Mm -hmm. But we honestly prefer to have a subject that there's at least, you know, a biography or two out right. there. It just, and I love, love, love how you give the credit to the biographers. At the end, you say, you know, I'm not a historian. I rely on the work of biographers. And then you had Stacey Schiff on, and oh my gosh, right? I fangirled out so hard. Me too. She's amazing. She's so smart. You were calm. So quick. Well, I think it was in mm -hmm. shock. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she won a Pulitzer for that book. The Cleopatra book's amazing, too, because that, you know, mm -hmm. the library burned down. There's no, literally no record from that time. And she makes an entire, mm -hmm. you know, incredible biography of this mythical woman out of, I don't know what, mm -hmm. out of air. Yeah. I, but it's incredible. I think our listeners should go listen to that because I know that they devour nonfictions just like we do. And to hear the process that these biographers have to go through to get that information into our hands, the appreciation level for what they do just goes to the stratosphere. Yeah, I speak to, um, after the Elia Kazan episode, or Molly Day Thatcher Kazan episode, I speak to Mark Harris, who's a biographer also, mm. and asked him how he picks his subjects. And he said, well, I have to be sort of able to live with what I'm working on for at least a few years. I mean, that's easily how long it takes. Yeah. Know. Yeah. No, we do the same thing. It's somebody we have to want to know about. Mm -hmm. There's been times that we were like, oh, we'll cover them. And then, you know, we just knew a thumbnail of their life. And then we got into it and we're like, eh, mm -hmm. maybe not. Because we have to live with them for, I mean, our, Months. our research time is very, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so um, the, uh, remember, Susan, when we were having a pronunciation, not a battle, we were having a discussion. Is it Charlotte Bronte or is it Charlotte Bronte? Mm -hmm. And I'm finally mm -hmm. just like, you know what? I'm picking up the phone. I'm going to call the Parsonage House Museum and I'm going to see what they say. Because if anyone on earth knows how to pronounce that name, it should be them. And so I called right. and they giggled and they asked around the office and they came back and they said, while Bronte is not incorrect, they would prefer Bronte. And that is historically what they would have been called. So wow. sometimes you just got to throw a Hail Mary up to the, you know, up yeah. to a museum and see what they say. Well, you did that for, didn't you, for, um, I don't even know how to pronounce her name. And I listened to your podcast on it. Kasturba Gandhi. Yes. Kasturba. Oh, man. Yeah, that is, that was, and what's <laughs> The funny story about that one is that because 
Kester was actually her name, and Ba means mother. So in her elevated status after her fame in India, she was the Ba was added to her name. So they, you know, it's 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 a term of reverence, endearment, you know, something like mm-hmm. that. And I had that in my head. I wasn't sure exactly how to pronounce it. And I I would ask people, and usually it was a British inflected accent. And so I wasn't sure mm. if I was doing a proper Americanized version of that or if I was getting it wrong. <laughs> and so then when I did the recording of the script, I had Ba in my head so much that I kept, I kept saying her name, Kester Ba. I did the entire mm. thing that way. And our audio engineer is so sweet and generous that he didn't really get in my way about it. And so when I heard the track he put together, I was like, oh, my God, Eduardo, I'm saying it wrong every single every single time. I can't. So I had to go back and and drop in. I just almost looped it. You know, I just dropped mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. closer to a proper pronunciation. But then I also was like, I got to just tell people, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing here and hope that that comes yeah. it. See, you need a co-host because we can do that for each other. Right. It's like, I don't know if that's how you pronounce that word. So we'll say it twice and then use the one that's easier, more popular. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so famously, our show started because um, I wanted something I couldn't find and I felt, and I admit, a cold wash of dread realizing it was on me to create it. So perhaps not the most glorious of beginnings. But do you remember, Liza, the spark? Like, okay, there was a there was a world that had no podcast in it, and there's a world that has podcast in it. But what was right in the middle? What was the spark that made you think, oh, okay? Well, the spark for the idea has been sort of a you know, like a the the pilot light for that was lighthead lit. I don't know what the I mean. Let's debate whether you which one of those you use. Um, when I was in grad school, and I heard my professor almost in passing told this bit of information about Vernabokov rescuing the manuscript of Lolita. And I was suddenly both fascinated, but also why have we not heard more about this? And then I heard the story of what Stacey Schiff went through to research Vera's life. And I realized why we haven't heard more (laughs) about it because it was nearly impossible. And then I've been sort of collecting these stories ever since about people who have been sort of singularly influential in a way that we are not generally aware of. And I you know, those things sit in your brain and and you sort of try and figure out what to do with them. And I'm a playwright, so I would think about, oh, is there a, you know, my, do I want to write a play about one of these things? And eh, that doesn't really quite feel it, like the thing. And and then the more podcasts that I listened to, I realized it was this sort of genre of writing that doesn't exist anywhere else, I don't think. Like, it's kind of long-form journalism. It's like maybe the length of a you know, a, a really long book review in the New Yorker or something. And it's kind of like what I'm calling like secondary scholarship. It's, it's, or, or, you know, like found scholarship. It's not, it's not intended to necessarily break ground on new information the way I think an article or a book is more beholden to do. And I still didn't have, you know, the, the impetus to try and make it happen and didn't really know how to make it happen but it, you know, sort of like circles in your mind and it kept kind of circling in quicker succession uh, over a period of a couple of years. My husband starts his podcast. I'm, you know, that's a very different thing. I, like, well, that's not anything I could ever do. And and I'm listening to The Daily. I'm like, well, that's not what this is. You know, sort of trying to find a comp somewhere. And then I have a playwright friend 
who loves podcasts, listens to a ton of them. And I kept trying to think of a podcast that she could host because <laughs> she's a really good talker. And I was talking to her one time. And I said, does this sound at all like an idea for a podcast to you? And I sort of laid it out. And she said, I would 100% listen to that. <laughs> like, oh, okay. So the, then I started to talk about it with Conan and then with the guy who runs his company. And we pitched it to somebody who had a very different interpretation of it. And I was like, that's not, doesn't really, I'm not interested in that version of it. And so I thought, well, that's not going to work. And then, I don't know, I just happened, I can't even remember who it was, I happened to talk to someone else who was like, no, 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 it doesn't have to be that version of it. So it took a few months, well, it took about a year really of my talking to people, thinking about it, trying to figure out what there's room for, what's possible, what's interesting. Um, and it was in the end, as it always is, a leap of faith that anyone else besides me and my one friend would find this at all compelling. And luckily, you know, more than just the two of us have liked it so far. <laughs> so anyway, another very long-winded answer. That's okay. That's good. But let me ask you this. What podcasts are on your playlist right now? I definitely listen to The Daily every day. I am obsessed with Esther Perel and everything that she puts out into the world. Um, I did listen to First Person the other day for the first time, which <laughs> I really liked. Um, I love This American Life because I never can get to it on time on the weekends. I, right. I listened to a radio lab and Ted, Ted, the Ted radio hour, I guess. I was listening to Under the Influence the first season. I don't know if you guys have heard that one. Um, <laughs> it is a, a woman who's doing a piece about she has young kids. She was obsessed with mommy bloggers. She tried to become one for a minute and documented that and realized how insane it was. And she's like kind of doing an expose on the world of mommy bloggers and and Instagram mommy influencers, I guess is really what they are. Oh, you know, I, Susan and I met on a mom yeah. uh, message board. <laughs> and I'm a newspaper columnist for the Kansas City Star. And essentially what I write or I started with was like mommy blog. Oh, <laughs> That's how they found me. Oh, wow. You, <laughs> it's morphed over the years. I did it. I started at the same time we started the podcast. So it's kind of morphed because my kids have, you know, if there's a point where their stories are completely their stories and I'm not going to tell them. Mm -hmm. I can tell my por portion of it, but at some point you're like, I don't want to even get into that because that's mostly your story. So it's kind of uh, morphed into just lady, <laughs> lady, lady blogger who has children in a generic way. Right. Well, and everyone, I mean, anything that any sort of endeavor that a mom begins when her kids are at a particular age necessarily has to evolve because at least I mm -hmm. find, you know, as the kids grow into different phases, your interests shift, right? So, okay. you know, it has to become something, I don't know, maybe wider, but maybe just different than the initial idea. Mm. Can I do a quick plug for another podcast that I really love? Absolutely. Um, this is completely different from everything else, but it is about, I don't know if either of you have pets, but my friend uh, is a sort of dog care specialist and she's doing a podcast about um, sort of like covering the range of everything that like a mindful pet owner might be interested in. So she talks to like um, she'll talk to a, a diet specialist. She'll talk to a, a great behavioralist. She'll talk to a um, someone at the Yale School of Canine Research. She'll also talk to like a pet psychic, you know, and she'll go really deep with these mm -hmm. people. Anyway, it's called the Baru. How do you spell that? Because I'm writing it down. My daughter's getting a oh, dog. Oh, cool. Um, B-A-R-O-O, -O, the Baru. And I think okay. she's just, she talked to the mom of the dog, Bunny, 
who is I am obsessed with Bunny. I'm obsessed <laughs> with Bunny. The day that Bunny looked in the mirror and said, why Bunny dog? I was like, oh, no, my life is changed forever. I'm telling you, it's fascinating. They have a great conversation. Um, yeah, so I really love that one, too. Oh, I love Bunny. Susan, have you seen Bunny? You have to. Uh, oh, I've, yes. Oh, yeah, Bunny's, oh, so now good. they're talking yeah. about Bunny's dreams. <laughs> it's a whole thing. I like when Bunny told on her dad, like, dad upstairs poop. <laughs> <laughs> and the mom starts laughing like, I know. <laughs> oh, so cute. Well, um, I wanted to give credit. F- earlier, we were talking about where we got our um, ideas. And I'm Sure, because you refer to this, that this happens to you, too. People love to give us ideas Mm -hmm. um, from an eight-year-old listener to somebody that we, you know, have drinks with every fifth Friday or or whatnot. And we um, we take things very seriously. We take, you know, we're we're influenced by lots of different things. And we have this giant list of probably four or five hundred people that are possibility. Oh, Oh, it's bigger. Oh, it's in the, it's over a thousand. I'd say two at least. So you guys are yeah, never getting out of this. You are doing this right. until the end of time. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of them are ones that there's no way that we could cover. You know, it's like, oh, my great aunt wrote this biography that she self-published, right. you know, and she was so <laughs> awesome. And it's like, yeah, she was so awesome, right. but there's not enough. Right. We have actually done um, compilation episodes where we don't feel like we have, mm, right. we don't have enough mm-hmm. to do our hour and a half, but we could do 15 minutes on four of them, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, we didn't want to devalue the power of, you know, suggestion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm laughing at an hour and a half because our, in our tagline, it says about an hour, but that never happens. It's really changing from our initial, it's getting to the point where we have to break them up. Like we did Maya Angelou. Um, you have a yep. Maya Angelou significant others episode about James Baldwin, but we we just kept talking, and I think she was our first three part episode. It's out of control. I mean, her own yeah. autobiography had took seven volumes, so you know this is a woman who has a lot to cover. There's her life is yeah. so remarkable. I'm not surprised. Yeah, everything is interesting, and, and you know this goes back to how you write your scripts. It's storytelling, and you have to be able to tell the story as if you're just talking right. to somebody. So that's a skill that you have from playwriting, I'm well, sure. Yeah, I do. You know, to be able to get. I that. definitely fall into the trap of of overwriting too much, and I sound like it's written. And you know, sometimes my sweet producers will say, like, "Yeah, maybe sounding a little bit stiff right here." You know, um, they're very mm-hmm. gentle with me. I think they could probably beat me over the head more, but um, but it's hard. <laughs> you know, I would hear that too in in the early scripts that I was working on, I would sort of write it so that it sounded good on the page. And then when I went to record it, I'd say, why am I saying it this way? It's so stiff, you know, it's very different Mm -hmm. kind of writing. So that goes back to what Beckett was just saying. How has it, I mean, you have, you've done eight episodes, you have eight episodes in the can. Mm -hmm. We hate that lingo. lingo. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So how has your show changed? A very famous podcaster wrote to us when we started, he said, I like what you're doing, but you're not going to know what your show sounds like until about the 10th episode. And he was absolutely oh, right. That's fascinating. So how has yours changed? Well, I've only gotten to eight, so maybe I have <laughs> No, I know, but you there's changes. There's changes in eight. Yeah, I think that uh, that's a really good question. Um, I'm thinking about that. It is one of the great pieces of 
feedback that I got along the way. I think it was maybe the third episode that I wrote. And the first few, I would ask Conan to read the script and then and or have him listen to my scratch track because sometimes, you, you know, it's better to listen to it than read it. And he said a couple of times early on, because there's so, you know, you get distracted (laughs) researching this stuff and things are fascinating and you can Uh go down little rabbit holes that are basically distractions. And, and he said, just, it's just about these two people. Like, I know there's other interesting stuff in each of their stories, but the more it can be about just the two of them, the better this piece is. And that was super helpful. Uh So I think I got a little bit better at internalizing that mandate the more that I went along. And I think I also got a little bit better about the, I hope anyway, about the formality of the writing that I remembered to make it sound like I'm talking rather than I'm writing an article. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) I may not be the best person to answer answer this question because I really, to me, I I don't know that it has changed that much. I feel like maybe if we if it were a real, it's such a strange format that I decided to do this in, you know, it's not a weekly, it's coming out weekly for the length of it, but then, you know, it's taken me a year and a half to put these eight episodes together. So, oh, yeah. Wow. So I don't have that kind of, I think when you're doing something weekly, you definitely sort of figure it out faster. And I may be mm. slowing myself down on the learning curve because there's so much time in between each one that I put together. A really interesting that thing that you do with your show is you have actors. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Rita Wilson. What? I know. <laughs> that, listen, so it is, I have this bizarre position of having proximity to people who happen to be, you know, professionally known for their acting ability. And um, they're kind enough when they, you know, talk to me about what I'm up to. When I mentioned this, they would say, what can I do? And I hadn't even thought of casting those voices at all. In the beginning, I just thought I would read the whole thing. And then I realized it would be, again, you know, like with the playwriting, it, it's, it's just nice to break it up and hear other people's, the sound of other people's voices, not to mention it's mm-hmm. going to make the whole thing feel alive. So mm-hmm. um, that was almost a whim. Like the first one that we did, I said, hey, what if we try this? And I thought of... Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally immediately to play the Tolstoys mm-hmm. and, you know, reached out to them and they were incredibly gracious and excited to do it. And they were so funny because they kept complimenting me on the writing of what they were reading. I was like, yeah, well, that, that's Tolstoy. And so, so, I, thank you, but I didn't write those lines. So, um, anyway, so yeah, no, I've, I've gotten incredibly lucky with the, the, the people who have been, I, I said to Conan, like, you know, your podcast is called Conan and Brian Needs a Friend and I'm using all of those friends up. So you're going keep, oh. to keep making new ones because none of the old ones are going to talk to us anymore after I keep asking them to do stuff. <laughs> I love the community um, nature of that. It's, mm-hmm. it's, listen, for a, you know, if you're going to go with a repertory theater company idea, who better to fill out the ranks than Rita Wilson and Timothy Oliphant and Darcy Carden? And, and right. these people are incredible. And then we've yeah. also, by the yeah, way, I, we've cast from within the Team Coco universe, just like people on staff to do smaller parts. And everyone's fantastic. Mm. Like it's, they're so good. They just read things and it sounds great. So I actually, as much as I love these people who are, you know, 
known and incredibly practiced at their art, it doesn't require that level of talent necessarily to pull off, you know, just a line reading of um, a real life character. No, I thought that was a great idea. And now I'm going to start listening and not scroll right. down and see yeah, who it is. Name the voice. I'm going to see if I can, if I can guess. Well, you yes. know, <laughs> I actually was thinking when I first had this idea, I was like, you know, it could be fun cameos like they did on Frasier. If anyone ever watched Frasier, oh, you know, how they yeah. had the callers on the show. And it was always yeah, a cameo yeah, yeah. by a famous person who was not, you know, they would, you would see it in the credits at the end, but they never identified it. And of course the show was just this funny little Easter egg. I thought, well, maybe, right. maybe it could be that kind of thing. So. <laughs> well, when when you get Stacy Schiff to come in and voice the quotes of somebody, just can that's you send a me a great note? <laughs> idea. Wow, I bet she'd do it too. She was so like present. She was so excited to be part of a conversation. She was. I. I mean, I know she's incredibly busy, also, but mm-hmm. she seemed to be happy to make herself available. So I bet she would if we found her a good one for her. I bet she'd do it. And a stare too. God, oh I love man, her voice now. that one! Yeah, <laughs> you made me a fan. Special. I'm so glad that you that I was able to turn you on to her because she, it, my mother's a therapist, and I grew up wishing I could be a fly on the wall in other people's therapy sessions. I was so curious, mm-hmm. and that's literally what this show, her you know original show, is. I mean, I don't mean to like disrespect the marketing teams, but you know, we do a lot of effort to get people to listen to our show. But the only way that I learn about new podcasts is through my friends mm. and recommendations. Mm. That's it. You know, that's what we say. You know, people ask us, how'd you grow your audience? Which is a you know big thing in the new podcaster circles, you know, yeah. the ones that don't have teams like you do. And we're like, we didn't. It just happened. <laughs> people recommended it to a friend. That's it. Don't you think yeah. part of the key of that is consistency? Like that you just kept putting it out there and that people could find it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, especially in the early part, I think consistency was, uh, you know, and now they know how we are, sort yeah. of. So consistency <laughs> is a little bit less important uh, oh, yeah, now. I don't, I don't even mean like in terms of how you present yourselves. I just mean in terms of showing up, like you're just there with a new episode regularly, right? Well, yes, but like a lot of shows that are, we drop at 10 o'clock on every Tuesday, we don't do got that. It. Got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> so we, 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 we put it out when it's done. Well, you know what? That might heighten the appeal. It's like, you know, there's a sandwich truck in LA that um, only sells egg salad sandwiches. <laughs> and <it's> like, <gasps> oh, really? Uh-huh. It's this amazing, I have yet to try them because, you know, you sort of get, you can look on Instagram and it'll say like, we'll be at this intersection today at noon mm-hmm. and they all sell out in 10 seconds. And that's like part of the appeal, I think, is, you know, it's not a regular thing. If you could just go buy it anytime, people would be like, eh. But uh, yeah, yeah right. apparently they're amazing. Wow. That seemed- oh, no. Now we're going to do a tour of L.A., Beckett? <laughs> well, if she can't find the truck, we can't find the truck, Susan, oh. for real. <laughs> I think you can like- find the truck. I think you can find I me. Mean, you just follow them on Instagram. I can't have to find their handle, but the, the LA Times did a piece of, uh, a piece about them a couple of years ago, and um, they make the. I guess they're inspired by the egg salad sandwiches that they sell in Japanese convenience stores, which are also <laughs> apparently amazing, and they're really specifically beautifully made. And there are a couple different versions, but um, I don't know. It's some very niche, very delicious culinary delight. Hmm. 
Well, Beck gets excited. <laughs> I am excited. I love a food truck. I have known, um, let's see, mm. where was I? I was chasing down the Vatos Tacos truck somewhere in California <laughs> once. My son was at Extreme Sports Camp and I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to find this truck that I've been that's, following and I found your it. Extreme Sport. <laughs> your Extreme Sport is running after the truck. <laughs> oh, or surviving the 120 degree heat. I was out in the desert, you know, that's where yeah. they have the camp. So, wow. So here's a question from before we didn't ask you, other than your official rooster, significant mm-hmm. other, I don't know, would he like being called a rooster? It's his fate now. Anyway, so, <laughs> um, so sorry about that. Now, other than him, who would you consider your significant other? Like work-wise or um, personal life? You know, it's a very boring answer. And Stacey Schiff, by the way, gave the same one, but my spouse really in so many ways is my significant other because I have learned so much from watching him do what he does. He has been such an incredible champion of my trying to do my work. I think that's not common, especially when one person is sort of shouldering the burden of providing materially for a family and the other person takes the other you know side of the boat, which is the caretaking of the kids and the whatever. You know, it it's hard to then also get your energy up to say like, yes, and you should also engage in the art that you're passionate about. And he has never, ever faltered in that respect, which I'm I'm kind of amazed by. Um, so I've I would credit him. I mean, of course, I've had teachers who've been very important. Of course, my parents are profoundly important and writers that I've read who've you know, led me in certain ways or given me ideas or inspired me or whatever. But in terms of people, I think it really, he kind of encapsulates the whole shebang. So Mm -hmm. there you have it. No, that's fair. That's really sweet. Let me flip it just a little bit. Other than your husband, are you a significant other to anyone? That's a great question too. Um, And I wouldn't imagine that I'm his in the same way, which is totally fine. You know what I mean? Partly because he was very established in his career by the time we even met. So, you know, I had literally nothing to do with that. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that's for other people to answer if I'm significant to them. I, I really, I mean, it's interesting that to bring this back to the start of our conversation, it's interesting to frame it as being significant and insignificant ways, you know, but I think it does guide my everyday behavior. I'm sure I fall short many, many times, but when I'm involved in volunteer efforts or if I'm participating in a, you know, an arts organization, the aim is always to be, to help someone get where they're going, you know, and it has nothing to do with needing to feel part of it or be recognized for it. But, um, I I sincerely hope that I have significantly helped people who are trying to get where they need to go artistically or intellectually or or in their life. So nothing would make me happier than to to feel that that's been true. But I also, you know, I think as as Susan pointed out, or maybe it was Beckett, I can't remember who said it's been so long know. now. We've known each other. Um, <laughs> I know. You know, there's there's so much we'll never know. You know, because right. it, it can be such a sort of, um, you know, it's like a, a transaction that doesn't leave a, an imprint in a way. But it's a lovely thought. That we're all significant in perhaps insignificant ways. Yeah. Well, thank you so much well, you. for talking to us today. It's been really fun. Likewise. So 
Are we your podcast girlfriends now? Definitely. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. This is truly a bonus episode. We'll be back at our normal time with our normal format. We just thought this would be a fun one-off. We hope that you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed having the conversation. If you're interested in listening to Liza Powell O'Brien's podcast, it's called Significant Others, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. The first season is now complete, but hopefully she'll be back. I don't know when. I'm waiting along with the rest of you. Bye.
It's the devil in the whiskey, not me. show up with like a bottle of wine sometime sure. hilarious <laughs> why not absolutely we have been known on, on zoom to have a um what did we drink during the jane austen podcast it was syllabub, syllabub. which normally you need to milk your cow straight into the cup and we said no we said no yeah breaking with tradition we said no thank you jane austen the modern woman and we did a bourbon tasting during carrie nation <laughs> that was also fun because of badness and irony 